It's Monday, November 9th? 9th. I wasn't prepared because November 9th, 2020 is a day that my good friend Hayes Davenport had I said assured would never me come. would never come. Uh, Every other prediction I made was correct, though. <laughs> <laughs> that did turn out to be false. I had blacked out in anticipation all of the squares on the calendar for the rest of the year. Turns out to have been a bad choice. November 9th, 2020. We made it. We're on the other side of the election. This is LA Podcast. I am Scott Frazier here with Hayes Davenport and Alyssa Walker. How is everybody doing today? I don't know how to do a show that where I'm not like pissed. Where <laughs> like I just don't know. Like, what do we like? We usually there just, are things to be pissed about if you want. If that if yeah, that's the fuel that you need to, to keep going. <laughs> No, I think um, Let's this is start the, with the long list. There, there's bad stuff, especially at like the state level. But when it comes to LA, I think this is the closest thing that we'll have to like a very special episode. I, I feel so heartened yeah. about the not just like the, like the the path that the city could potentially be on, but mo- more so about just like the potential for change here. That the structures yes. that we had in place are not like immutable that things can happen and yeah and like especially compared to the state compared to some uh stuff at the federal level i think la is a bright spot for a lot of people across the country like right now like looking at what what happened here it's cool totally agree with that it it's a strange feeling it's a very unfamiliar feeling i think for people who follow los angeles politics but yes i would totally agree that looking at everything that happened uh, last tuesday and in the days following you you have to feel very hopeful i mean unless you are david rue or jackie lacy you are not feeling so hopeful, but like if you are, if you are somebody who has actually been showing up and trying to do the work of changing the political path and political futures of this city for years, that work we we got results. We saw results for it on on Tuesday and in the, in the days following, and that's just hugely inspiring. Uh, we will get into all the stuff that happened in the election, a, a few housekeeping things. If you're just showing up and kind of like catching up on how local government works, we've got a lot of information on our site, thelapod.com, with collaboration with LA Pays Attention, led by Lex Roman, a lot of information in our guide to LA about the structure and characters of local government. This Later this week, we haven't even asked her yet. But we're going to try and get Nithya Raman to appear for a special episode of our show. So if it doesn't happen, you'll know that she just like big timed us. <laughs> uh, I also want to plug Councilmember Mike Bonin has a new podcast, Room for Everyone. Rising yeah. Tide lifts all podcasts. <laughs> that show is called What's Next Los Angeles with Mike Bonin. And we welcome him to the local news podcast community, which is now I think is like a community of maybe four shows. Yeah. No one has claimed Pod Save Los Angeles yet. <laughs> There's, I mean, if that happened, we would immediately 
just like uh, the iTunes would just like shut us down on 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 their own. As soon as they decide to get into this market, we're all dead. And I want to shout out the producer of What's Next Los Angeles, Brian Holmes, also the producer of this show, continuing his local news podcast, Empire. What else do we? Oh, if you we, if you yes. want to enter into the, the local podcast space, you just have to to kiss the ring. Brian Holmes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's he's holding the door open. He's got his hand on the levels. He can turn you up or he can turn you down. <laughs> and if you join our Patreon, patreon.com slash la podcast, you support reporting associated with the show which uh for our website we have our first big story coming out very soon it's related to hotels it's related to project room key that will be very exciting we were sort of waiting until after the election to start putting that stuff out there there's going to be a lot more writing on the site now that our we've sort of been freed up let's let's get into it let's talk about these races you mentioned based on the agenda that Alyssa has put together it seems like she would really like to go back and relitigate all of the predictions that we made in our prediction episode but I do I like rather than do that I do want to give you a minute to just take a victory lap because the, the you got a huge number of calls correct how I got did you all do the it? electeds so all, all the, the electeds, electeds we talked about i was the only one to call them all because i have faith in women um, who, who who were the what were the races that we talked about we talked so, to people listening. Yeah, go ahead we the local ones that we that we discussed and gave predictions for were district attorney supervisor board i'm like so tired supervisor <laughs> Board of Supervisors. Board. Well, you you can say supervisorial district, whatever. The one <laughs> seat left, and then the two council seats that were up, and I I predicted them them all correctly with much confidence. Much confidence. And it's true. you guys did not have any confidence in Holly Mitchell to win over Herb Wesson. I had confidence in Herb Wesson to win. In fact, yeah, you were like. All for him to win. Yeah, that, and then that you race both, was. Even though you uh, have been volunteering for the for Nithia's campaign, you were not as confident as no, I was all. in your abilities to elect this person. And that was a few weeks before the actual election. <laughs> By the time the election came around, I was very confident that we were going to lose. But I'll talk about that <laughs> after you saw David Rue's uh, campaign take a nosedive. Oh man, Alyssa, you called them all right. I we got to talk about Holly Mitchell in a minute and. The decisiveness of her victory, which was really shocking to me. But let's start with Nithya. We mentioned Nithya. This was one of the biggest stories of the night because of all the winners. She did not have political experience when she entered this race. I don't know of a time that it's happened that a total outsider to L.A. politics showed up and beat an incumbent. The number of times an incumbent has been beaten is in the single digits. Dating back to like the history, like the beginning of Los Angeles, although the early elections are kind of hard to keep track of. But um, the fact that she won seems like by the end of this, she'll have won by between four and five percent is pretty shocking. You know, I was there for pretty much all of it. And it is astonishing to me that it that it actually happened. And. I guess the thing, like, well, I, well, I'm sure we'll talk more in like the coming weeks about like what the actual ramifications of it are and what it means. But she got more votes than any other 
council candidate in LA history because of the new alignment with the presidential election. It's not like that race was like really driving all this turnout. But I do want to talk about just like what she had against her, like going into this race. She showed up into a race where the incumbent had already raised eight hundred thousand dollars in the primary. Just a staggering right. amount that was designed for for potential challengers to look at it and just say like okay this is I don't I don't want any of that this is not happening I don't want like yeah exactly so an incumbent again incumbents don't lose the incumbent also had the endorsement of every single city state federal elected and then ultimately Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton famously <laughs> as we talked about on the show <laughs> that honestly can I just say that seems harder to believe with the distance of uh, like a few weeks of, of being able to process it, it seems I know. even more unreal that that actually happened. It really did, though. Yeah. Uh, and Twitter certainly has not forgotten about that. It will be added to the pantheon of of Grim Reaper memes as <laughs> it already oh, 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 it will be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, local media, like legacy media, traditional media. Yeah. Not outsider art like this show. She didn't have a single endorsement of like the LA Times, any like LA Daily News, any local paper, mm-hmm. zero coverage on like lo- like or very, very little on like local TV news or whatever. They just were not paying attention to this race to the degree that like we were and like sites like knock la and the land and and others were it was not really de- like i would say she got more national coverage than local coverage just when you talk about favorable coverage yeah. undoubtedly like yeah. there was a uh, a glowing uh, profile of her in vogue the week before the election i want to say yeah. talking about how how she had, as you mentioned, come into this race as a political newcomer and what it was actually like to do that as, as a woman of color in Los Angeles going up against all of these hurdles. There were, there were a number of other favorable notices about her. Again, total, that's totally unprecedented for a challenger in a local city council election to get that type of nat- national coverage. But if you, if you exempt that, if you don't look at the national coverage, and if you don't look at groups like Knock, which is, of course, uh, associated with Ground Game of L.A. or our show, it, in the absence of that, of course, the L.A. Weekly doesn't really exist anymore. In the, in the absence of that coverage, the only coverage that would have existed about this race, especially in the immediate lead up to the election, would have been like the cavalcade of of bad press seemingly emanating directly from the David Rue campaign in the direction of Nithya Raman. So especially at the yeah, at the end of the race, the LA Times willingly just reprinted a lot of the stuff that that he was putting out. They're just like the the smears and like the total lies about Nithya's campaign. A big part of that, just like calling it like it is, Emily Albert Reyes w- w- had a baby and went on maternity leave and then the coverage completely changed and was just handed over to the incumbent at that point which is part of the reason right. i thought that uh we were losing whatever potential uh, uh, advantage that we might have had local media labor labor is a hugely hugely powerful force in la by the end of the race they went hard for rue yeah the fed had a pack that spent a lot of money 
a lot of powerful unions did kind of sit out. The SEIU and others that put a lot of money into Mark Ridley Thomas's race, for example, did not mm-hmm. go hard for Root. The one that did is the IBEW, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, the LEDWP union, which is becoming or has become one of the most regressive forces when it comes to climate issues in yeah. the city of L.A., they really, really are waging a, they, they, a hard campaign against the kind of Green New Deal that Nithya wants to advance. And the LA Police Protective League gave money to their PAC to to help run this campaign in support of Rue. That was another yeah, it was kind of force. weird. Yeah, the the day after Election Day, reading coverage in local newspapers and uh, I think in the Daily News and seeing the Labor Fed, um, we we can still pull this race out. There's a lot of votes left to count and kind of being like, oh yeah, we're on opposite sides of this one. They were really pulling for Rue in a big way. Yeah, and just to, like not to spoil it, the the LAPP, the Police Protective League, picks the winning horse every single time until this election, right. where they got washed. They lost every single race that they that they really or every single one. I guess twenty five. They, 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 I think they put some money into mm-hmm. to keep cash bail going. And so that was their one statewide victory. But they lost Nithya's race, the Jackie Lacey lost, and Prop 20. Trump lost. Trump lost. Trump lost. <laughs> <laughs> but that, at the state level, 20 was their big one to increase more misdemeanors to felonies. And that lost by a lot. So... Legacy media, labor, every elected official, money, the deck like could not have been stacked harder against Nidia. Right. And, you know, we've talked about what made her campaign so unique and I think like why she won, just like turning it into this kind of like bringing so many people into how city government works, this huge force of volunteers and small dollar donors and turning it into kind of this like cultural event. I saw a lot of people online being like, why do I know about this like why I, li- yeah. I live in like missouri why 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 do i know about this like la city council race and also i mean like it's not lost on me that a lot of people who listen to this show became volunteers and i we yeah. i heard that a lot that like this is how they found out about her and i'm so grateful uh for everyone who listened who absolutely who 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 got into it but yeah, I mean, it just shows, I think, it just opens up possibility in L.A. politics that didn't exist before. Like, it's it's such... Although, I do want to talk about, like, the post-mortem around this race where I saw an article in The Times. I've seen it in other places where people are mm. immediately calling this, like, a one-shot deal. Mm-hmm. Or also people on the payroll for David Brew, right? Notably, you're going to see, and this is what immediately, right? Like you saw this story. I think it was before he conceded because it took a long time for him to concede. Yeah, I was like, where were you when he finally conceded? Um, (laughs) It was like more more of a bigger moment than than the Trump thing, the Biden thing. (laughs) But um, immediately, like. The story is actually like Hollywood put her there and sexism and this ridiculous like undermining of her qualifications. I mean, and be prepared. It's coming like it's going to be especially going into this council where she's the third 
woman out of 15 people, it's going to be relentless and we are going to have to be vigilant to fight back against these narratives that have already begun. Yeah, but you could see a lot of those got edited, right? The LA Times headline was well, the headline does, yeah. angry voters, <laughs> a larger electorate and Hollywood money, like how Nithya Raman oh, got an edge in garbage. this election. And people garbage. were like, this is absurd. And then Nuri Martinez put out, it was so bizarre this week, by the way, with the, the moment between election night and when Rue conceded, when a lot of council members were congratulating Nithya, who had not claimed victory. And it wasn't like a huge margin. Like there was a point when it wasn't like totally impossible that Rue could have come back. But like Mike Bonham, Marquise Harris Dawson, Curran Price all publicly were like, congratulations to Nithya Robin before Rue right. had actually right. conceded. It was extremely awkward to watch. But then the night of, on Friday night when Rue conceded, Nuri Martinez, council president, put out a statement that was like, congratulations to Nithya Raman. She'll contribute to the diversity of opinion on the council. It was like a little bit like shady, Mm -hmm. but then that got deleted and replaced (laughs) with something much more enthusiastic. Yes, it's working. Whatever you're all doing, it's working. (laughs) Keep doing it. The diversity of opinion. That's that is that's something that th- this this is, I think, uh, a theme that we will see continue to develop. The the instant postmortems are always interesting, especially because, as I alluded to, they oftentimes come from people whose job prospects are intimately wrapped sure. up in their ability to sell a narrative that what happened here isn't going to happen again in 2022. That, that I, I think, though, is is really the question for, for LA activists. I, I think this is a moment of deserved incredible optimism and uh, and everybody who had a hand in, in helping Nithya's campaign get over the finish line to this result should feel immense pride and maybe take a beat to, like, care for your mental Your jaw. Health. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Like, to forcibly unclench your unclench your jaw. But the uh, but the the broader picture and the um, the medium term question, I think, is how reproducible is this result? And and I know that that's something that people are are already thinking about, looking toward twenty twenty two when a majority of city council seats are actually going to be up for for elections and i think only one of those is an open seat that's council district five Mm -hmm. so that there is there's a lot at stake i think what has been shown definitively in this race is that the enthusiasm is on one side there there was not enthusiasm for david rue to claim re-election there wasn't enthusiasm for a continuity of the types of, I guess, incremental progress that he had sort of laid claim towards. And you can see the the stark difference between what happens when you organize a campaign around saying, you have power, you as the voters have power, this seat has power, you can exercise your power in a positive way to meaningfully help the people around you in this city that's what Nithya's philosophy and what she brought to uh, the city council race was. On the other hand, you have uh, what the incumbent did, which is what all of the incumbents do, which is say, don't care about this race. This race doesn't mean anything. 
how dare you try and invest uh, time and attention into the city council? What look at the you know look at the guy in Washington D.C. Right. Aren't you? Isn't everybody? Can't we just hate him together? From an angle also of like I'm already this is already in good hands. I'm already doing an amazing job. Like, as good a job as yes. anybody could do. Yes. There's no more that could be done. That in was Nithya's best line in the campaign. She said exactly that. Like they'll tell you they're out here. They're doing the best that they possibly can. Believe them. Vote them out. That is a, a very good line. Yes, um, and 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 I think that this is. So I think that this is reproducible. I, I'm curious what you guys think, but I I know it's it's uphill, but but it does seem like the enthusiasm that you see on uh, on the side of w- without a better term for it the the progressive side of things here in Los Angeles is heads and shoulders above the the more mainline incumbent wing that it has been uh, in charge of things here. Yeah, I mean, some elements I think are hard to reproduce. Nithya is a really unique candidate. She had both, like, connect, like she did have Hollywood connections. She ran Time's Up Entertainment. Like, her, her yeah. husband is a TV writer. So that was, like, inroads that could, like, get her campaign going quickly that were really useful, especially when those, didn't, those paths didn't really exist for outside challengers before this. Now they kind of do. So that, that, that might not matter as much anymore. But she also, she had this background of working in urban poverty for so long. She just like, she's just a very naturally good candidate, I think, in a way that is kind of hard to replicate. But what is replicable is the people that really won her this race primarily. I mean, her campaign managers Megan Choi and Jessica Salins both came from Ground Game, started Ground Game together, growing out of mm-hmm. Jess's campaign in CD13. And they're still around. And like their, their organization, that they, like the framework that they built still exists. Like everyone talks, like AOC is talking this week about how Obama built this machine in 2008 mm-hmm. and then let it fall apart basically like kind of let it rust over the next few years and it didn't become something that like future candidates could really use right jess and megan did the opposite of that they built this small operation not well funded at all uh when jess ran for city council and then kept it intact and just grew it and grew it into like the single thing that won nithya this election which was a volunteer-based door knocking effort with just an unbelievable field campaign first with doors in the primary and then with phones and texting in the in the general and as long as that like machine still exists like they'll just be a tough out wherever they take it especially as you pointed out uh scott like the we were saying i saw scott on election night and we were both like Kind of the secret of all this was that CD4 was really hard. It's a yeah. really, really tough district. I saw um, someone on Twitter call it NIMBYSTAN because it's, <laughs> like, it's, it's where all of the centers, it's been like drawn to contain all of these centers of right. anti-housing, anti-homeless services, anti-everything power in Sherman Oaks and Hancock Park and Miracle Mile. And... That this, if they can do it here, the, there's a lot of options out there. Oh, you! I'm glad you brought up the 
you know, the Obama story, which was really a good a good thing to read. I think it published today. We're recording this on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she did also did a thread of all the moderate Democrats who lost coast to coast. And it was, you know, staggering just to see all these people who were running mm-hmm. on keeping things the way they are or whatever, you know, and I, and I think that's that narrative where everybody tries to tell you, like, don't get too radical. Don't get too progressive. You're going to scare those people off. And then you look at what we've done here, not just with Nithya, but like, you know, the Jackie Lacey must go narrative, approving Measure J. We had some other local candidates like Constantine Anthony in Burbank, Mm -hmm. like a a socialist in Burbank. I mean, we have something going on in this in this region right now. And I don't think it will be hard to continue to build upon that, especially like you said, we have we have this group built outside of, you know, the whatever, the status quo that yeah. is that is extremely successful at, at getting people um, out to vote. So I, I feel very good about it. Um, the Constantine Anthony uh like like Nithya became the leading all-time vote getter in the district in, in which he was elected. Um, so clearly something to be said about the, uh, again, about the enthusiasm on display by voters of a particular stripe here. Um, not to be discounted too is uh, the work that organizations like DSA put in, yep. groups like Kiwa, you know, like th- there were there was a, a coalition of 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 interests, but of interests that were decidedly out of the institutional mainstream here in Los Angeles, who put together a really formidable effort here, and and all of whom deserve uh, credit. I do think that that something that something that needs to be said, as you mentioned, Hayes, that because because of this way of approaching races like this ground game um, is in their name that they are going to approach campaigns as being in large part an exercise in actually reaching voters. Nithya as a candidate, her affinity for making the complexity of of city government accessible to large numbers of people. The more that you can do that, the more that you have, the more that you have an opportunity to educate voters on the fact that the city council members, the city council that we have currently, they just lie and they lie and they lie. Yeah. I mean, we're this isn't really a place where like in, you know, I think a lot of the the focus this weekend has been on comments made by House Democrats, including James Clyburn out of South Carolina, who have said things like that, like the, the Democratic Party needs to walk back away from some of the more progressive elements of, of its own party. That's not what happens here. Here, what we have is a city government that lies and says they are progressive, that says they are as far to the left as any government anywhere, but the actions do not align with that. And the truth doesn't align with that. And so once you actually start making people aware and uncovering for people, this is this is the actual shape of authority here. This is the limit of people's ability who are holding elective office. And this is what they're actually doing. Then it becomes much more apparent. They are they are making choices to serve people with a lot of power and to, you know, willfully 
harm people who don't have that power. The conversation after the fact about this, I mean, it, it continues to fascinate me that everyone, everyone who got it wrong in like saying that Nithya had no chance in like and like usually endorsing Rue, we're now going back to those same people to tell us why she won, which they are also getting wrong. Those articles all want to chalk this up to circumstantial like the like weather patterns that are all like completely out of that Nithya just yeah. like waltzed in here and just like won because like stuff happening in the world and in the city and she was just in the right place at the at the right time I saw Zev Yaroslavsky in the Times article being quoted yes. saying it wasn't David Rue <laughs> like things have just like changed and everyone wants to chalk it up to the fact that the vote was moved to align with the presidential right, election. Right. That is the opposite of the reason why Nithya won. It is harder for challengers to beat incumbents in this context because you have to do so much more. Like, Nithya's was an enthusiasm-based campaign. Like, she could have turned out enough voters to defeat, like, the, like she could have... David Rue, last time he ran, got 13,000 votes. Yeah. In the I just general. want to say, I, I want to say, like, what, what you're saying is, and this is something I've been thinking about too. What Alyssa said earlier, what is, what is accurate? Nithya got the most, or one of you said it, Nithya got the most votes out of any city council candidate in LA history. The flip side of that is, if Nithya does not get the most votes in city council history, she loses this race. Yeah, who got David the second Rue most? got the second yes. most votes in city council history. If she does not get the most votes in city council history, she does not beat the incumbent. So that's not an advantage for no. a, a political non-entity. Enthusiasm works more effectively in low turnout elections like you are driving people to actually vote when they wouldn't have otherwise and they need to be like really stirred up to do that right Nithya would have won by a larger margin in a low turnout election everyone saying that it's because of their realignment is completely wrong and it's also based on the fact that like other challengers who showed up like in the primary did not do as well it wasn't like a naturally great environment for progressive challengers she was the only one that made it out of the out of the primary i just like we don't have to listen to these people anymore <laughs> like they, right and they also are going up like, like you were saying they have financial incentives uh, incentives to talk about this stuff i've seen i see all these people quoted talking about why it wasn't actually david rue it wasn't nithya and they all endorsed rue in the primary like of course yeah. they're gonna say that I mean, but then you, you, you do have to look at, so, I mean, 2022, we have, like I said, eight out of 15 city council seats coming up for grabs. Right. There are uh, a number of those which are, as we started talking about a little bit ago, that, that are considerably further to the left, particularly districts 1, 9, and 13 than CD4. There, the... The thing is, if you are an incumbent, if you are a city council incumbent right now, after Nithya Raman has won this race against David Rue, the last time that an incumbent lost being nearly 20 years ago. That was astounding, that number. But, and yeah. that was in completely different circumstances. I don't even want to cite that, that race anymore. That was Antonio Viragosa. Yeah, that's your favorite story to tell, Hayes. I feel like you always bring it up. I have to, because people say like 17 <laughs> years. Wow. This is not even close to that. That was 
Nick Pacheco, an incumbent who was like riddled with scandals, was mm-hmm. by right. far the underdog in that race against Villaraigosa, who just like took him out in the primary easily because he was already a much better known political figure. Yeah, kind of came out of East LA, came out of the uh, the culture of the the Chicano blowouts, then went to rose to become the Speaker of the Assembly. Was a a, a definite political powerhouse and had already run for mayor at that point. He had run for mayor and lost, and then ran yeah. for city council using the increased reputation that he had from running for mayor, and then ran for mayor again and won. Yeah, but so yeah, there. I mean, that is something that is. The the actual it, w- it would be like if Jose Wizar had had an extra term of eligibility and Kevin DeLeon were, were running against him. That would be, I think, a similar. And all of the scandals yes. were, were known at that point. That's that that right. would that would be a similar situation there. Of course, that's that's not what happened. Yes. And this this is not this is not really comparable to that. But I, what I, what I think does what what does bear mention is that you know this is the first time that it's happened in twenty years. Yeah. However. Since the realignment of of the elections, now an incumbent has lost in one hundred percent of the <laughs> elections. You know, since, since they started sure. uh, since they started doing this during the uh, higher turnout races, or yeah, during the higher turnout election cycle. So, if you are a an incumbent looking at this and trying to determine what your strategy for it is. And the the allies, the constellation of of business interests in particular, who align behind those candidates, what I imagine is we are going to see in twenty twenty two the most expensive city council races that we've ever seen. We did see that this this year, and I imagine that we are going to shatter those records oh next time around because because the people who are on city council right now. I, I would love to be wrong, but I don't imagine them just changing their entire political philosophy and ideology on the basis of a single race. I think that they are going to really try and use as much cash as they can to to stomp out this upswell of, of political interest here. Twitter is going to be so fun. It will be fun. <laughs> It'll be interesting. Like some of them are, we've talked about like last week, Paul Koretz and Mitch O'Farrell being unusually resistant to like criminalizing homelessness in a way that they had been in the past they're making like gestures they kind of changing yeah. their 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 politics but it's unclear if that will stick it didn't when rue tried to do it in the primary like he saw i guess that wasn't working and he snapped back at the end to becoming much more reactionary than he ever had been but it will be fun, and we're going to talk about all this stuff a lot more. And redistricting now happens, which is like and redistricting a happens. huge part of this that and we Scott don't. Scott wants time to rewrite about. the city's charter too, so we're going to yeah. do it all. I mean, that, we I, can do it all always. <laughs> we have time. I, I do. I do think we can do it all. And I, but now you know, we talked last week about the was that last week forty one eighteen the the so called sit lie ban that city council was trying to make it so that uh, the city attorney Mike Fewer candidate for mayor or we'll definitely talk about the mayor in a second uh. <laughs> but mike fewer had written a very very harsh very strict sit lie ban for the city that that said if there was shelter available anywhere that people would be able to be arrested by lapd for being basically in public the thing that I think is interesting that about that now, we mentioned last time, it, they brought it up for a vote right before election day. A lot of council members didn't like that because they 
for example, David Rue, I doubt it would have changed the outcome, but he didn't want to be in a position where he had to make a potentially unpopular vote right before then. They did push that vote back to November 24th. Yeah. So now what? We have lame duck council members voting mm. on this sit lie ban mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or this before it is before Mark Ridley Thomas and and Nithya Raman get officially sworn in. They should move it again. I think they're going to. Yeah. I honestly think leadership in the council will not necessarily be reluctant to saying, Mark, Kevin, Mike, Nithya, you want this to be your thing? Go like you like you can put your name on this and you can like take ownership of it. Mm. Joe Joe Buscaino, I think, would be more comfortable in the minority in a losing vote saying we have to do more encampment sweeps and like just not having control over the homelessness situation, which like not mm-hmm. having not being responsible for it under the assumption that I'm sure they have that it's just going to keep getting worse and worse. Right. But those first few weeks when Nithya and Mark Ridley Thomas show up, so their first day in office, they vote for the new council president. Right. Which is currently Nuri Martinez. She was kind of, she was appointed on like something of an interim basis and now that Biden has won, looks like Garcetti is uh, Scott. I saw you saying that you think that he's still in position, that he's rode out the scandal successfully so far to 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 be appointed to the cabinet. I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, quick quick point. I'm pretty sure Nuri Martinez was actually elected. That's right. Yes, council president. Yeah. Yes. Uh, she. I think appointed and then elected shortly thereafter. Right. But yes. So. As has been a frequent topic of discussion, the now, now that we know that that Donald Trump has lost the election, there there is that to consider. What happens with the Biden administration? We do know that he is strongly considering, or was prior to the scandal, strongly considering Eric Garcetti for the Secretary of the Department of Transportation. That I think. It's hard for me to say that won't happen. I I don't think that that scandal has dented Garcetti's uh, uh, ability to secure that post much on on a national level. Remains to be seen if it will in the fullness of time. But thus far, I think he's he's rode that out. Yes. And if he leaves office, the council president becomes interim mayor. Or I think the council, like, I think that's like the default thing that happens. The council can vote, I think, on someone else taking that position. Yeah. The council president serves as acting mayor until the council appoints a new mayor yeah. or or holds a special election. In this case, very unlikely that we'll see a special election because like the, the, the rule is the appointment of a, a, a mayor if there is a vacancy in the the mayoral seat can only last through december of the next even numbered year so so in this case that would be through the end of the term they could do a special election it seems extremely unlikely well it's december uh, 7th 2020 right? right that is the cutoff date so if garcetti leaves office after december 7th 2020 then they just wait. The acting mayor is in office until the term is over. If he leaves office yeah. before that, then they the, just, then there's they a just special. wait. No, they just wait to to make the appointment. Oh, the, oh, it's, no, the, it's the appointment. It's not when he leaves office. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. It's from the, it's from the time of the appointment. So one, 
I guess one possible scenario, I really, I really think the special election is unlikely, but one possible reason that you might end up with a special election is because there are, I mean, this is actually great for what we have always talked about wanting to break up the, the community of interest on the city council. There are now a number of people on city council who are vying for the same job mm-hmm. and a number of people outside of city council who are vying for the same <laughs> job. So the, the likelihood of agreement on who the next mayor should be, knowing the, uh, the, the favor that is bestowed upon the incumbent by, by the voters is, is pretty slim. There's not really a chance that everybody will come together and name one person to, to serve as interim mayor. The, the exception uh, that I've seen on Twitter is, you know, you pick somebody who's known to be a political non-person at this point, somebody who has graduated from, from the political fray and can kind of come in as an elder statesman until, until such time as the new election takes place. We're becoming San Francisco. It's it's like it's 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 we're like there are factions in our local government forming <laughs> like they call we're we're becoming a healthier city. I I wouldn't necessarily ascribe that to San Francisco. David Chu, the San Francisco politician, called it a knife fight in a phone booth. And like I, a while ago, I said like the the L.A. version of that is a. Uh, as just a bunch of turtles like nudging a hockey puck around but that's changing like people are getting like these coalitions are forming and they're becoming more openly adversarial and the result of that is engagement like people are getting interested they have something to like kind of latch on to locally and it's and also to talk more about the garcetti stuff once again this politico story had i mean they all do the same stories over and over but this one had like pictures of people and that went up um, on Saturday afternoon and had Garcetti for Secretary of Transportation, which I think is the two, it's like that, or HUD goes back and forth. But then a lot of people were saying, and again, this is like the national perspective, but with really no local, being informed locally, people were starting to say that he was going to get appointed for the Harris Senate seat by Newsom, which is just that's a ludicrous thing. But again, like getting all this attention, people, you know, you have to like spend all our time on Twitter, like fighting against these people telling us what, you know, explaining L.A. back to us like yeah. constantly. It's just like so many people, like just whoever they have heard of the most yeah. <laughs> must be the person who's going to get appointed. No. The L.A. Times had a story about this, too, right? Like who's going to be who's going to be nominated or not nominated, appointed. I mean, this is I, I feel like something worth mentioning. We did talk about it in the past, but the amount of power that Gavin Newsom currently holds is just like there, there are no words for it. He is picking He's somebody. He's not a gold mine. He's not going to just give it up for nothing. He's just going to give it away. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Blago, free a free man is Rod Blagojevich. <laughs> uh, He's the real winner in all this. Yeah. <laughs> more, uh. Even more so than than that infamous case where Rod Blagojevich sold the the Senate seat vacated by Barack Obama when he became president. And we have a situation in California where it, look at look at the race between Kevin DeLeon and uh, and Diane Feinstein. It is incredibly difficult to win a Senate seat here. If you are the incumbent, you have an advantage that is uh, 
That is, yeah, I mean, yeah, really to put it in in crude terms is incredibly lucrative. It, it puts you in a position to raise a lot of funds really quickly, and it puts you in a position where it is very hard for a challenger to unseat you. So Gavin Newsom can pick a political ally and basically get them into the upper house of the American legislature for the rest of their political lives, as long as they choose to stay there, more or less, I think. It's not going to be Garcetti because no. I don't think that I don't think that Gavin Newsom gives a shit about Eric Garcetti, but I don't know who it's going to be. I think that we we should expect uh, that, that that is going to be a very interesting story to follow, I guess. These people are so petty. And it so it often comes down to like loyalty. Did you show me loyalty right. when I needed you? And Garcetti did not show that adequately to Gavin Newsom. He did not endorse him uh, when Villaraigosa was in the race, or he took a really long time because city family Villaraigosa's in the city family. They probably probably knows a lot of stuff. But for Biden, Garcetti has always been very loyal to Biden. He didn't even endorse Hillary. Yeah, when it was possible that Biden was going to enter the race in 2016, and that kind of stuff mattered. Like Garcetti showing up to all the stupid debates and shit, like that. Right. Like they they just feel like oh we've got to like, give him like he activated the Garcetti machine for us. I'm sure he did raise a shit ton of money. <laughs> yeah, and that matters. I think Newsom is looking at probably a. Latino appointee. Could it be Kevin DeLeon? <laughs> I don't think so. See, nobody seems to think so. And I, I, I'm curious why he his voice doesn't get named at all. I just don't think he could do that to or us. Or his name doesn't get voiced at all. I think because of it, because he's won this election. I think because I think it may be different if he hadn't, but um I think that I don't think he would take him away. No. From us. I don't think so I'd either. Be pretty bummed about that. I think we've been saying for a while I think it's Alex Padilla or Javier Becerra, which is exciting because that would be our first Southern California senators in a really really long time. Uh, yeah, since the early 90s, right? Yes. Uh, and I think Becerra is not from LA originally. I think yeah, he's born in Sacramento, but he was in the house representing Los Angeles uh, after Ed Royball retired and like he's in the, you know, right. it's, it's different. Senator for for Alyssa, Senator Ann Getty's rug. The rug the rug has been very loyal yeah, like, to, what, which to Newsom. Of, which Getty family member is actually just gonna get it? It's gonna be really Really disheartening <laughs> to just see some like random Getty heir get appointed, right? Let's talk about Holly Mitchell. Alyssa, you called it. This is for this was for the second supervisorial district of LA County. Huge seat. You're representing two million people. And this is the district kind of like at the the center of LA County, representing a lot of South LA, a lot of the city of LA. Herb Wesson outraised her by a lot. And I think a lot of people assumed was a much more prominent presence in that district when the race started, won the primary by, by just a little bit, but the primary was like neck and neck, and she crushed him. I and, cannot and in, believe how yeah, much she won by. In any other 
it was over 60% the day of the election, right? Am I getting that yeah. right? No, yeah, and it the was first like, return. I mean, and it just kept going. In any other election year, this would have been like the hugest story. And the fact that, you know, LA County, the largest local legislative body, yep. and most powerful in the country is now run by five women, five yep fairly progressive women with the one exception you know yeah. it's like kind of it's kind of a huge deal and it, again this was like the third or fourth main story we had going for LA this week but she like it was no looking back that I remember that bar loading when you flip mm-hmm. on the LA vote dot net site and you see those little lines shoot up and it just yeah. kept going and it was just it really an amazing popped up. thing yeah I, I know Alyssa you you called that Mitchell was going to win, but were you surprised by the margin? No, I just felt that she, yes, I told, you can go back and listen to that show. I said, I thought she would win handily. Like I (laughs) was very convinced that she had the momentum going into this. She just did everything right. She did everything right. And we talked about the endorsements that Wesson got. It was a big deal. His like stance on policing, all that stuff. But like, you have to think about it. Like his counsel didn't necessarily his council work didn't necessarily carry over to you know the county which is much bigger you know mm-hmm. these people who were voting weren't just people he had known from his you know council days and i just thought her momentum was unstoppable the interesting thing here so yes you you brought up a very good point i think which is that the second supervisorial district the the board of supervisors just five people representing the entire 5,000 square miles of Los Angeles County and all 10 million people here. The second supervisorial district, of course, as a result, is enormous. It's much larger than the 10th city council district, which is itself quite large. The not, So I, I think that what I'll be looking for when the returns are finalized is... What was this? You know, what was Herb Weston's base of support? Was it mm-hmm. predominantly people within the city of LA, or or not? You know, is there is there a breakdown that appears geographically like that, or is it is there something else that that happened here? I frankly was surprised by the the blow. It's a blowout. The, yes. the, the, the enormous blowout win that it's Holly the Mitchell, only one really that we saw. Yeah, and I can't I can't say I'm mad about it. I'm very no. happy yeah, that Holly <laughs> Mitchell won. Um, and I think, you know, in our in our election guide, I, I still remember I like writing about this particular race, encouraging people to vote for Holly Mitchell because the style of her, of, of Herb Wesson's politics taken from the, the city council and applied to to L.A. County, which is so opaque so opposed yeah. to transparency yeah. on so many levels yeah. already i yes. think is, is very dangerous yeah and i just wonder i just wonder what it was that 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 blowout margin feels to me like in some way in some way it is a rejection of herb wesson i know that in many ways it is an embrace of holly mitchell who is an incredible politician mm-hmm. and i think will do great things here but i'm uh, I am curious if there is something that will pop out in the uh, finalized election returns. Yeah, it's uh, so in the primary, they both got about 29% of the vote. A pretty large field. I think it was like seven or eight people who were running. There was running. a lot of people, yeah. 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 But Wesson's vote share went from 29 to 38, and Holly Mitchell's went from 29 to 62. <laughs> yeah. And it just kind of suggested like everyone who wasn't voting for Herb 
in that primary, it turns out that was like an anti-Herb coalition. Like they yeah. were not those those yeah. those votes that didn't go to Herb were not evenly. But those votes that didn't go to either of them were not evenly split. They went to Holly Mitchell, and it's stuff like along the way, you know, like the way. Herb ran the city. He did develop constituencies that like really did not like him. Koreatown mm-hmm. does not like Herb Wesson for a number of reasons. They were mad at him about uh, like lots of people in Koreatown were mad about the homeless shelter he tried to put there, but also redistricting how the, like they saw him right. as being responsible for cutting up Koreatown in a way that they could not exercise political power. I do wonder too how much uh, how much the corruption scandal in in City Hall managed to attach to him he, and that's holly mitchell's campaign went went hard on that that yeah. was their that I, I was mean, their negative angle on him I, I think it's a reasonable i think it's a reasonable thing to say uh, when there were when there were campaign events things that we talked about i don't know maybe back in the spring when all of the stuff was going down when i think when the charges against jose Wizar were first brought directly it was so hard to to believe when Herb Wesson would go up and say things like, did I just miss something? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, this is the person I've been closest, cl- closely yeah. associated with for the entirety of my time in, in City Hall. If it's, you know, uh, if it could be Jose, it could be anybody, you know? Yeah. Right. Like, that's, it's <laughs> yeah. like, no, it was always most likely to be him. <laughs> and, and to me, I, I, I always, and I, so I, I struggle to, to assess whether or not this is just because I, I'm I, I've followed this story so closely, but but it was always difficult for me when when he would say things like that. I w- it was hard for me to imagine that not hurting him more than it helped him because it just sounds like he thinks that the people listening to him are idiots right. that, that, yeah. that they would believe that. But he's good at that. Like that differentiates <laughs> him from a lot of other LA politicians who are bad at it. Like he yeah. is so charismatic, so charming. Well, yeah. we played clips of him on the show that made me cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, I was talking to someone about this. The trade of Herb Wesson to Mark Ridley Thomas in that city council seat will have the, 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 the hardest hit thing will be watchability of city council meetings. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Ridley Thomas <laughs> is not a compelling uh, no. Yeah, that's a bummer. Huh? Yeah. Hadn't thought Rick, about that. Uh, it's funny because I enjoy reading Mark Ridley Thomas's remarks. Oh yeah, written, sure. written, written down. There, they are great. Um, uh, live, live, they are so terrific. The cadence, if you can call it that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Herb Wesson. I'm curious where he goes now. I mean, he's been. Yeah. What do you do now? Like, maybe he'll get appointed to be the interim mayor. <laughs> <laughs> He's just been such a force for so long, and it, like I, I don't know if this came as a surprise to him how how badly he he lost by, but um, yeah, it's just like a, like a city without him will just be completely yeah different. What do we think comes of our new board of supervisors, Alyssa? Yeah, I mean this this is the. Like I said, this is the exciting thing for me because we yeah. do have, regardless of some of our strongholds from the far north of the, <laughs> of the <laughs> county, which we can work on that, we do have these women who are really good at getting things done, have this Measure J 
kind of as a mandate going in yeah. to this. Like this is, you know, we didn't talk about the numbers there, but also like really, really good from the first vote drop, like over 56%, I think, from the beginning. Yeah. And, and and I and I Holly Mitchell like said it best like she had this interview with Spectrum the day after she won and it was just like this is a new era for the county where we focus on like caring and compassion and taking care of people and I I just like you love to see it of, of these women like running the county that way it's really it's really going to be something something to watch. You're so right that it's a, a mandate more than anything else. I mean and the the Mitchell Wesson race was a competition over who was more of a reformer. Who was on, more Jay, yeah. Yes, yeah, on criminal justice. Totally. Like, who, was, who could align themselves more closely with BLM? And, yeah, Measure J, Prop 20 statewide. I mean, like, there is so much political room now to completely transform how our jail system works in the county, how the entire sheriff's department is structured. Again, we do have to shout out Alex Villanueva, the sheriff, for his contributions to generating <laughs> that political will. And, you know, it is it is a, a group of four, or like mostly three, and then to some extent Janice right. Hahn. Like, it's, it's a group that could really get a, a lot of serious stuff done at the, at the county level. It's, it's very exciting to see. Statewide, couple real bummers. Prop twenty two. We all thought it would pass. It did by a pretty significant margin. It's just too much money. But not only that, it's it's worse than that. Because Talk about this, Alyssa. You day, wrote about it. Yeah, I wrote about. I mean, I I had a story all written, and then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna start looking into. There's a different story here because the story is actually not about what happened, but how immediately. The companies like Uber had its earning call, earnings call the next day or something, and all their people from Uber and Lyft are like, we're now taking this national, we're pouring tons of money into making sure that we can do this in every city that we're in, state, whatever, and they have now changed labor laws and are writing the labor laws for the country, and no one is going to stop them. Yeah. Not every state has this same direct democracy lover that that's California true. does. Right. We, we are but, unique in that sense. That's true. Yeah. But you're, you're I mean, but, but you're absolutely buy right. Like we, they'll buy legislators. Yeah, of course. They yeah. buy, they buy legislators. And, they and we've, do. we've yeah. seen this happen before. We've seen it happen with prop 13, which kicked off the, the tax revolt, not just in California, but nationally, there was an, an entire wave of similar white grievance politics so that, that. that yes. swept through the, the country during the Reagan years. This is a real concern. And this is so bad because you really have to look at this like the the entire slate of propositions on the one hand really highlights all of the incredible activism that has happened in Los Angeles. We were, were so at odds with the state level results of this yeah. of this election where the the prop results were really uninspiring were really uh, like things that we didn't even talk about in terms of whether or not we thought they would pass because we we assumed that they were given like prop 16 to to reallow yeah. affirmative action in California which had been constitutionally 
banned as part of another wave of white grievance politics in the 90s failed. Very small gains that were possible were were shot down. Larger gains like Prop 15 to cut into the the regime of Prop 13 also failed. The the state level results were not were kind of like a harbinger of bad things to come if if anything. And that was very different than what we saw here locally and uh, I think to me what that really says is this is is bad. Like this is a bad system, right? Where you can change, you can literally change the constitution of the state of California with 50% of votes plus one vote. That is... And change it to make sure that you have to have a seven eighths yeah. <laughs> a majority if you're, cha- to if you're changing again. Like- if you're changing the constitution, the, if you're changing the state constitution, the only check that that exists from that point is the U.S. Constitution. Mm-hmm. That's it. You can change it to say anything, and we have. We've changed the state constitution in 2008 to say, now, if you read the first chapter of the California state constitution, it says marriage is defined as being between a man and a woman. In 2008, we did that. It's in our constitution, mm-hmm. and that was struck down by the United States Supreme Court. That's the only way out of those things. Now we have it in there that that gig workers, that app-based workers, good good luck to you, listeners, if your job happens to become an app-based just... That, that seems like a, a scenario that we will all be facing in the near future, that yep. an employer will try to get around labor laws by making your job an app-based job. Yep. Now, those are not direct employee relationships, but this system of having 50% plus one vote be enough to rewrite the state constitution is incredibly bad. And there's no way that, regardless of what type of activist network that you put together it can come back from a deficit of $200 million in spending. The total yeah. spending on these props was nearly a billion dollars this cycle. It's only going to go up. Yeah. Because it, look at the return on investment. Exactly. Like they, it, Their valuation made, went up $10 yes, billion. Dollars. The next day, again, like it was like, it was just like waiting 24 hours just to see what would happen. Really, you could see the full game plan, like just spend out in the two, open. Spend $200 million in money from... Saudi investment funds and make $10 billion. Like it's a, yeah, sure. It's going to happen again. The thing that is saddest to me is that these votes don't even reflect what voters actually want. We know from polls that a huge number of people that voted yes on 22 did it because they thought they were benefiting gig workers. So many people like who probably the whole campaign. That was yeah. the whole, ca- oh, and it's also when you it's confusing when you look at the ballot exactly what you're voting for. Prop 16 was a vote to repeal a yeah. a previous proposition that made it illegal for governments to discriminate on the basis of race. That sounds bad. It sounds like something that you, uh, like. Like discrimination. Yep. Just read it. Yeah, I don't want to support yeah. discrimination. Right. Like right. it's very easy to get crossed up. We it happens when we talk about these things on the show all the time, and so it's there's just no way to 
a get information out there specifically like widely enough to for people to fully understand these propositions and also to combat all the misinformation that, that that's out there there's a sign outside my window right now that says vote no on 21 save affordable housing right uh, yep. for and a rent control bill that. That, yes yeah so it would have made housing more affordable and is also now probably going to lose yeah yeah i i think that the 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 thing here is I think what you said second is is most impo- important is how do you without without money how do you combat misinformation when you have a network like Lyft, Uber and DoorDash utilized uh with 200 million dollars in financing plus the I I would say dubiously legal strategy of forcing your entire workforce to campaign for you while they're working how do you possibly without money combat that that strategy but even but with money at 16 yeah, has I was way more say money that too because 21 even with yeah. money yeah. <laughs> ha, ha, but yeah yes so it is it is hard to combat misinformation even with money but without it it's impossible, it's impossible. yeah and that true. to me is is the story here none of these measures by the way pro- you know, none of them would pass a threshold of needing a supermajority, right? Like, they're, they're, Prop 13 didn't get two-thirds majority. Prop 22 is not going to get a two-thirds majority. If you're rewriting the Constitution, that seems like a, a reasonable standard to set, with the exception that, you know, when you have already rewritten at a lower threshold some of these, like, being able to repeal Prop 22 at some point in the future will be important, and so being able to do that at under a supermajority threshold because it was added with under a supermajority threshold seems like it, it should be something that we uh, try to retain the ability to do. But proposition reform, in my mind, is something that progressive groups need to start looking at uh, a lot more. It will also have the knock-on effect of reducing the number of propositions that mm-hmm. people vote on mm-hmm. in a given cycle mm-hmm. because a lot of these won't come up for a vote because they know that they will fail a two-thirds uh, majority. So uh, that that is a fight, I think, that we need to be become serious about and in I wanna, rapid order. I want to talk more about 15 because it hasn't been called yet. There is maybe a very small chance that it could pass, right? We're still, uh, the last data I pulled was that's 83% Yeah, and L.A. has a lot of votes left to count. Well, that's one of my two of my questions. Like, one is, why did it do so well in L.A.? And and what's the next move with this coalition if it if it fails? L.A. on a lot of fronts. So I'm sure 21 did well in L.A. also for rent control. Uh, Not a majority. Not a majority. Not for what we have so far. I'm gonna look it up. In LA County, it didn't get a. No, it's not. It, it the no was winning the last that I saw. Well, um, so well, what about LA City? Oh, City. I'm sorry. Were you talking about City? Okay, yeah, I was talking. I'm about guessing. LA like, I'm guessing LA City. It it passed. It did. I think Prop 10 passed in LA City. Yeah. So rent control, increasing taxes on commercial properties, all this stuff does very well in City of LA. City of LA could do a lot of this stuff locally. Culver City, I think we've talked about it in past weeks. Culver City just passed a, a progressive real estate tax, a transfer tax, where if you sell your property, the more expensive it is, the higher that that sale is taxed. If LA did that, we could raise a huge amount of money for mm-hmm. city funds. So 
it seems like the path is just more and more like you just can't do it at the state level. Yeah. And when it comes to rent control, the state legislature could change that rule whenever they decided to. And a way for them to start doing that would just be to target cities. Just like say, okay, this doesn't apply at like a statewide level, but the city of LA obviously wants this. Garcetti wanted it. Every council member wanted it. Like, let's just let certain municipalities do this if they want to. Hasn't been a, a successful approach so far, but yes, that I mean, they they still could. It's only one. I, I think. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I will say I was extremely annoyed to see Gavin Newsom, who famously um, came into office with uh, a, a promise to build three and a half million housing units before saying, no, I didn't say that. He's still got two years. Don't be mean, Scott. Um, tap back into his imaginary <laughs> legacy uh, as being a, some kind of housing guru so that he could say, Prop 21 would harm his ability to deliver on uh, the, all the affordable housing that he wanted to build. So thanks, Gavin. That was our biggest with well, 15 and 21. We all yeah. said. I really am shocked that, that I, I don't think that 15 will pass. And I am very shocked by that. That is a big surprise to me, too. And also um, 19, which we didn't really talk much in detail, but also kind of chipping away at that Prop 13 thing also won't. So I guess my question, too, about about that is do we really organize to just go in and just take Prop 13 out completely with some of those things that you're talking about? I know I guess probably not the state level, but to say, like, you know, if you if you do this, certain homeowners get benefits of, you know, all the things we talked about before, like do it in a progressive way. But like, do we just go for the whole thing at this point? Because chipping away at it is probably not going to work. Right. Prop 19 might pass. Right. It's, it's, it's leading by a little bit. It's, it's very similar to 15 with the same. Will pass. Yeah. Yeah. It's close. I see. This is funny because I didn't consider the situation where 19 passes but 15 fails and now right. we have to live with the legislature being even more in the pocket of the right. realtor <laughs> lobby if that's even fucking possible. Yeah, it's right now it's they're both like 4851 flipped. So like prop 15 is like the no side is lower but prop 19 the yes side is higher. So but they both still have about almost 20% of uh the votes still need to be added. So uh We have so much more to talk about, but we are basically out of time. One thing I just want to tip that the story came out this week on the the day after election day. Or or no, sorry. It was on the day that the presidential race got called. So no one really paid attention to it. But it basically talked about how LAPD is getting to decide its own defunding process, how that will play out. And... They are doing it in a way that it is designed to be political and designed. They're laying the groundwork now. So for every murder that happens in the city of L.A. for the next year, they'll be able to point and say, like, well, this is because of the cuts that you made us do. They're cutting their specialty divisions, metro, but also homicide, uh, gang enforcement, I think drug enforcement. They're taking officers out of a lot of traffic collisions, which is uh, like a good thing that the city council members like Mike Bonin and Marquise Harris-Dawson have been pushing them to do. But they're putting those resources into patrol, 
which is less expensive, I guess, than these these specialty divisions. But it's not what anyone was saying we necessarily needed more of. It's it's a dangerous beginning to this process because like it's 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 designed to fail in some way or at least designed in such a way that they can always like chalk any increase in crime up to the fact that they were forced to do this and no one else i think would really have suggested they do it this way it's i mean it's political right yes. is, is what you, is what you're getting at they are the the police are extremely political actors and they are as with everything else that they do from breaking the very real scandal in the mayor's office to yes this decision to cut the the investigative force for rape homicide robbery etc they're doing it because they want to be able to make a political case that the only way to approach any solution is to give them more funding it yeah. is a well it's a bluff basically they yeah. they want they want to be able to force themselves on Los Angeles forever um, and hopefully that effort is seen for what it is uh, but we'll talk about that more. Might be some writing about it this week. Thank you for listening to LA Podcast. Thank you for voting so well. And we will be back next week and maybe later this week uh, with some special episodes of this show, which is LA Podcast. Bye. Bye.